from the Primatech Paper Company, it's the IGN DigiGods. Now please welcome two indestructible cheerleaders, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Man, that is one offbeat reference. What longtime listener sent that one in, Corey? That was by Chevelle Dixon, who's looking forward to heroes coming back and no one else. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Kind of timely. It is kind of timely. Heroes is coming back. You know what? I, I, I just, I don't know why. Greg, 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 Greg Grunberg is happy to have the new gig. He is. He's you know, having... he's in Star Wars, too. JJ, I, JJ puts him in everything. It's true. It's hysterical. J, because because Greg is to JJ what John Ratzenberg is to yes. Uh, Pixar. Yes, it's is true. It, is good luck charm. It kind of is. Yeah, sort of is. And you know, Greg was. <laughs> I shouldn't even say this. Greg was the first person to write a review for my Jackie Chan book uh, years ago when that thing went up on on Amazon, and he just went nuts for it. It's like, okay, down boy. Greg did. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. <laughs> he wrote me this really rave review. Uh, it was awesome. I didn't know he was a book critic. Yeah, he's not. Okay. It was just, you know, the user reviews. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, I, I owe him. Anyway, um, so, uh, hey, Alex Rocco died. We, I we did that last I week. I know. I know. I'm just still, talk about DVDs. Okay. I'm still kind of mourning that. That's no, too, you're you know, not. Well, and, and, and Horner. I mean, I was never a Horner fan, but I'm like, there's never going to be another James Horner score. Actually, there's going to be two. Well, well Southpaw. The, yes, that he, which I would, you know, yes. And then the Chilean Minor, uh, yeah, the Chilean yeah, Minor, the Chilean yeah. Seabass film. Correct. <laughs> the Chilean Seabass film. That is correct, yes. Yes, he, those two, but they were already in the... In pipeline and they're done? They're in the pipeline. They're done. They're finished. Yes. Yeah. Look, all I know is... Someday there'll be there there will be a Star Wars film without a John Williams score. Yeah, true. At this point, mm-hmm. I'm just saying that's sad. Very sad. It's very sad. I mean, how old is John? Williams? John Williams must be well into his seventies. Oh yeah, he's he's like he's almost eighty. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Boo! All of our heroes getting older. All right, uh, Mark. We have uh, a whole a whole bunch of. Uh, Documentaries backlogged here, so let's uh, let's let's kick through these just a tad. I've got a we've got PBS stuff to start off with, and and a ton of these are uh, are war themed. The first one I'm going to talk about is not war themed. Uh, actually, the first two uh, series two of Shakespeare Uncovered is out, which is really great. These are all the stories behind Shakespeare's plays. Which for anybody who even even if you're a casual Shakespeare fan, this is super interesting stuff. Uh, and it gets into the, the great literary and historical details, and it's really fascinating. And it's all done so with so much class and distinction. Really, really great. Uh, this is WNET 13 that uh, sort of initiated this for PBS. And, um, you know, different celebrity hosts each one of these. Hugh Bonneville from Downton Abbey, of course, does a Midsummer Night's Dream. Christopher Plummer does King Lear. Uh, Morgan Freeman, ta- Morgan Freeman, Taming of the Shrew, uh, David Harewood, Othello, Joseph Fiennes, Romeo and Juliet, appropriately, the man who started sh- as Shakespeare in, uh, in uh, Shakespeare in Love, and Kim Cattrall, Anthony and Cleopatra. Uh, so uh, that's that's season two of that. And then uh, another doc that I really, really highly recommend. Uh, it's called Caring for Mom and Dad, Facing the Everyday Challenges of Being a Working Caregiver. Uh, you know, anybody who's been through the aging parent or aging parent generation thing 
really should see this. It is, uh, it is illuminating. It is insightful. It is reassuring. It is educational in all the great ways that, that a doc like this needs to be. Meryl Streep narrates it as if it isn't serious enough. She gives it that extra level of gravitas. Um, but really, for I- anybody out there is looking for a way to cope with something that might feel just like a, a completely new endeavor and just be terrified at what it means in terms of time and finances and the rest of your family, definitely worth checking out. Um, I can say that having gone through this firsthand, uh, this is this is really really reassuring and uh, definitely something that'll that'll put a little bit of uh, of gas back in your tank. Uh, we have a whole bunch of war-themed stuff from PBS that is both then and now, and it's just uh, maybe you'll find it depressing, maybe you won't. But it's uh, it's sort of the ever presence of co- of conflict in our world is really interesting. This one is just superb. It's called 1913 Seeds of Conflict: uh, Early Encounters Between Jewish and Arab Nationalism. Uh, 1913, of course, is a fascinating year because you're talking about. Uh, the the on the verge of World War One, and the Middle East looked like a very very different place. Anyone who knows who's seen Lawrence of Arabia knows that it was carved up in a in a very unorthodox way after the fact. So this goes to what it was like before then, in the waning days of the Ottoman Empire. Really really good, about an hour long, but it just uh, it's really well done. Uh, Frontline is doing some amazing documentaries, by the way. There are some Frontlines that are coming up that are just mind-boggling. I'm just blown away by the stuff they're getting. I really am. This one, The Fight for Yemen, which is totally off of the news cycle right now. I'm not sure why. You realize Yemen is, is like a failed state right now. Eh, so is Mexico. It's Donald Trump. <laughs> but, I mean, Yemen is, it's, it's like civil war. It's a failed state. Iran versus Saudi Arabia in a proxy war. It's a mess. It's horrible. I can't even, like, there's that, that, that you remember there's that, uh, you never watched Friends, did you? Oh, a friend of mine went on a date with Matthew Perry. That's your answer to my question, have you ever watched Friends? Look, would you rather have me say yes or no, or my friend went on a date with Matthew that Perry? Which one question. is more interesting? That answers my question. She's, okay. She said he was, hor- he was horrible. Okay, well, good. Total narcissist. I'm sure. He, he admitted during the date that he had dated two girls at the same time for nine months. And That's didn't, great. And didn't tell the other. That's fantastic. Well, anyway, there's an episode of Friends where Matthew Perry is trying to get away from Janice, and so he actually flies to Yemen. Uh, at first, it was supposed to be a joke, but then he's at the airport, and she sees him off, and he goes, I'm going to Yemen, and it's a joke. It's funny, and you laugh. Yeah, because Yemen is funny. Yemen ain't funny no more. I remember— this is messed up. I have a memory of you and Christy had gone to a Laker game. Yes. I have this memory. In Yemen? Yes. And you insisted on your way home— you insisted on stopping at my apartment. I lived in Santa Monica at the yeah. time because there was an episode of Friends you had to watch. <laughs> so you literally said, Can, would you mind if we stop at your place and watch this episode of Friends because we won't make it otherwise. This is before really? DVR. And really? Yes. We did this? Yeah, I swear to God. I, I have this memory of it. I, I, I it was before DVR and that kind of stuff. So, I have no recollection of this. Yes. So, <laughs> what was this, 1927? That's very strange. Okay, well, anyway, the fight for Yemen really just... Good but depressing on, on a whole crazy level. Uh, Dick Cavett's Vietnam, Mark. Dick Cavett's Vietnam. I bet you didn't know that Dick Cavett owned Vietnam at one point, <laughs> did you? He did. He bought he, it in a fire sale. Yeah, you let me tell you, he was, he was one of the, the bravest. The war. He was one of the bravest soldiers of Vietnam, wasn't he? He was. Uh, no, you know what? It's amazing because, uh, and basically, Dick Cavett, who was just a television legend at the time in the 1970s, um, 
this is entirely how the war was depicted through the interviews that he did on his show, on the Dick Cavett show. And uh, it's really interesting. Again, this is something that should go in context with any other sort of historical archival coverage of the Vietnam War. But Dick Cavett as as a... as a pop culture prism, his show is so interesting to look at. I, people forget, in the 1970s, there were talk show hosts sort of defined the world for us. And it's not like now. We think of now, you know, Letterman and Leno and, you know, Jimmy Fallon. And, uh, you know, it, it's not, it, it wasn't like that then. You literally, Mark, tell me I'm wrong. 19, wrong. 1970s, we're talking Dick Cavett, Johnny, Johnny Carson. Tom Snyder. Tom Snyder. Mike, Douglas, Merv, Griffin. I mean, Dinah, right? Sure, but the, you know what I mean. That was like that was an amazing era for talk because all of them had, like, we knew them by their names. Mike, did you watch Mike? Did you watch Merv? Did you watch Dinah? Eventually, you know, John Davidson had his own show, and and you had to add the name because everybody's named John. But um, that was really an amazing era. That was kind of amazing. That was sort of incredible. Anyway. Uh, the day the 60s died, the Kent State shootings. We throw this in, of course, with the war thing because it's all about the Vietnam War and, uh, and protests, and it was a little bit of a, a little war at home. Um, and the nice thing about this is it's not just about Kent State, but it, it puts it into its uh, socio-historical context, and it really was a, a big deal. Nazi Attack on America is an episode of Nova, uh, which deals with this fascinating, completely unknown incident... Uh, or a series of incidents that cost over 5,000 American lives. Um, and uh, it's all, you know, part of this clandestine U-boat operation called Operation Drumbeat. Uh, and anyway, it, it's really, really interesting. And it's all co- sort of, uh, it comes to light through undersea exploration. That's why it's an episode of Nova, because they have to do a lot of sort of uh, aqua aqua archaeology. I don't know if that's the term, but I like it. Aquaology. Aqua archaeology. Aquaology. Okay, Aquaman. Aquaology. Gosh, is that going to be good or not? Or no, is it just going to be a, Jason, it, a big Jason Momoa? It'll just like, be some big dark macho thing where just he runs around with his beard, his big staff of <laughs> his trident, a, a, a trident of macho ness. Yeah. And you know what? I, you know what I think of when I hear when I see that trident. The gum. No, I think of Steve Carell. In in Anchorman, <laughs> I just killed a guy with a trident. <laughs> we better find you a safe house. No, what's what's more, you, you, hysterical? That's just so. That line reading just rips me apart. No, which I is just the one? Killed a guy with a trident. No, which is the line over the opening credits when Will Ferrell who's like doing his vocal exercises yeah. before they do the yeah. they start the show? So somebody was denied a who's denied a bank loan. Some superhero was denied a <laughs> bank loan. Which one was that? I can't remember. The, you know, the Human Torch was denied a bank loan. Oh, so or something funny. like that. Uh, then we have another one here, The Draft, uh, which is a really interesting examination. Nobody today knows about The Draft. When I was growing up, The Draft was a real thing. I mean, it was a, it, and a lot of people were scared to death of it because Vietnam was still going on and the body count was going up and up and up. Uh, so anyway, this, is, uh, this looks at the entire history of the draft and arguments for and against it and uh, whether or not it should be brought back, whether or not it's, uh, it, it should not be brought back. Really, really interesting. Great documentary um, about something that is just not a part of our cultural iconography anymore. And then lastly, another amazing front line, uh, American terrorist David Coleman Headley and the siege on Mumbai. That's Headley. Thank you. That's what I said. 
Stop it. Uh, no, this is uh, this is a co-production between Frontline and ProPublica, and they're looking. They're basically uh, David Coleman Headley is the subject yes, of this. Headley. Yeah, thank you. Who was essentially one of the, the the central figures in the 2008 siege on Mumbai, and a lot of people don't know this because you know that that just sort of escaped the news here. But um, this is really quite an extraordinary bit of uh, of sort of investigative journalism and research journalism and historiography. And uh, they, they really they, they spin a story that I'm kind of amazed that our mainstream news media completely missed and how the FBI sort of uh, was able to track down Headley and uh, eventually turn him into one of their top witnesses. So this is, uh, this is great and uh, it's pretty chilling as well, but it's really well done. Amazing stuff. All right, uh, Mark, whatever. Do you want to talk about that or should I knock this out and... Wait, let me tell you something. Yes, sir. Uh, we got two from uh, the good folks at PBS. We have Children of Giant. Now, Giant, of course, is the uh, is the mid fifties uh, classic starring um, what's his name, uh, James Dean, Elizabeth Taylor, yeah. Rock Hudson, and at the time, the uh, like literally hundreds of, of of cast members and crew people just descended upon this little tiny town in Texas, town of Marfa. To shoot this movie. Marfa? Marfa. Marfa, Texas, to shoot this movie. Sure, that's not like a little kid trying to say Martha. Ma- Mar- it's, it, was, it was the film Mar- Marfa, Marcy, May Marlene. Yeah, right. So anyway, 60 years later, they, uh, these PBS guys, they go back to Marfa to talk to some of the descendants of the people who lived in the town at the time they shot the movie. They also talked to some of the um, original cast members and some of their descendants. And uh, it's interesting because they also get into the, the film, how it was made, the legacy of the film. Stories about James Dean. So if you like Giant, and uh, who doesn't, uh, it's good. It's a good movie. Now, I had a lot of interest in um, Invisible Universe because uh, it's all about the Hubble telescope. And it, it reminded me that when the Hubble telescope, which, of course, now is like this legendary classic live forever amazing yeah. <laughs> telescope that, that gives us all these sights we've never seen before. When that thing first went up, it was a disaster. I know. It there was, was like it was, it's it's like it was out of focus when it first went up. There was a and, one millimeter, <laughs> one millimeter was out of focus. The whole thing destroyed. <laughs> and I, I feel like it wasn't it wasn't like we had to send up a team of astronauts to just walk up to it and just go and adjust the focus manually. It was it was almost something like that. It, yeah, it no, you, they they well, this the invisible universe reminds reminds us of this. Because maybe think why, you can't do that remotely. Like we can take photos remotely from all the way down with Pluto, but well, you couldn't you couldn't adjust the focus remotely on this thing. Well, I, this we is got focus pullers on movie sets who can do it from a continent away. What the hell? This is twenty five years ago. I know. Anyway, so it does remind you of that great story about these five astronauts who went up to refocus the Hubble. Yeah. So it's a great story, and the Hubble, of course, now for a generation has been giving us amazing images. So uh, there you go, Invisible Universe Revealed. That's about the Hubble. Aren't those photos of, um, of uh, Pluto unbelievable? You know what? Forget no, that. No, no. I, I just, look, let's just get to one of the moons of Jupiter, find the aliens, or find the <laughs> evidence of alien life. And the... Did you see what Corey posted? No. Corey slays me. He really does. Corey, if you're listening, you are awesome. Corey, Corey posted <laughs> thing. It says, you know, courtesy of NASA. And it was this enormous close-up picture of Mickey Mouse. It was like Mickey Mouse's eye and part of an ear or whatever. And it took me a moment. I was like, NASA and Mickey Oh, I get it. Ah, giggles. It's very funny. Uh, three really terrific things here from uh, Zeitgeist and Icarus. Um, this is called. This is a film by Bill Morrison, 
Beyond Zero, 1914 to 1918. And this is so fascinating. Bill Morrison is, for those who don't know, is an experimental filmmaker. He's an avant-garde filmmaker uh, who made this thing called Decasia, which is all this sort of decaying film footage cut together, uh, The Great Flood. Um, so he, essentially, this is kind of a documentary, kind of a, an a, a experimental film. Uh, it's more an experience than anything else. And uh, with this just great score by Alexandra uh, Brebalov, who is a uh, Serbian composer, um, essentially cutting together original nitrate footage shot from, uh, during World War I and uh, just creating this kind of collage, tapestry, experiential, amazing movie that has this great music that, uh, you know, written by Vrebelov and performed by the Kronos Quartet. It's just, it's, it's, you have to see it to understand it and believe it and appreciate it, but it's really great. Um, it's called Beyond Zero, 1914 to 1918. Really cool. And then there's also Our Daily Poison by Marie-Monique Robin, or Robin, depending on who, what country's uh, pronunciation you want to use. You know, we, we have an ongoing cavalcade of documentaries that are all about how, how food is just bad for us. And uh, the more I see things like this and Food, Inc., and uh, what was the Morgan Spurlock thing? Uh, oh, the uh, the thing where he... Uh, uh, overeating. Uh, eat, uh, supersize eat, eat me. me. Supersize me. <laughs> supersize it was me. called Eat Me? Yes, Eat Me. That's what it was. <laughs> supersize Me, uh, Food Inc., a few others, and now this. I don't even want to eat anymore. I just kind of put me on an IV, and, and I'll, I'll roll that around with me. Uh, this is just absolutely horrific, and it deals with the... why. In other, why are there so many neurological diseases, cancer, why are all these things just suddenly becoming almost epidemic in proportion in the, in the developed world? And uh, so they, go, they, they explore that, and they get into you know, what's going on with our food and, and you know, why are these things not being controlled. And it's, it, it, it's horrifying because it basically it tells you that, that our food is more poison than food, and all the regulatory agencies and uh, filter agencies that are supposed to control this and keep our food supply safe are, are just sort of enabling the poison more than anything else. It's just a, I'm sure there's a rebuttal to this, but I can't imagine uh, how, how, how they can rebut all of it. It's just, it's, the rebuttal is my ice cream. When I make my ice cream... Which is loaded with hormones from the milk because it's not organic milk, which means you're going to grow breasts this week. You will. Look, I'm so fat right now, I already yeah. have plenty of fleshy right. man boob I can show okay. off to everybody. By yeah. the way, last week I made kettle corn ice cream. I don't even... I, kettle I, corn ice cream. Okay, what do, what do I do with that? You eat it. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, kettle and then, corn uh, ice cream. sounds terrifying. Good. Oh, I also made bacon peanut butter ice cream. Okay. You wouldn't eat that, right? No, I wouldn't get anywhere near that. Not even close. More for me. Uh, and then lastly, there's a little doc here called 112 Weddings. And um, 112 Weddings is uh, by a filmmaker named Doug Bach, uh, sorry, Doug Block, who you probably know from uh, The Kids Grow Up, if anybody saw that. And Block basically, uh, in between the ability to make documentaries that actually made him any money, he, would do, he was just a wedding videographer. He just shot weddings, as a lot of people do. A lot of filmmakers do that to, to support themselves. And, um, but in this case, he decided, you know what, I've really become very close to a lot of these people, and then I never see them again after I, sh I shoot their wedding, and we plan the, the shoot and the whole thing, and then they go off in their wedding, and then these people that I've become very close to leading up to their big day, I never see them again. So he decided to do uh, kind of a 7-up, a 21-up, you know, 35-up 
42 up type thing uh, with one film and go back and, and visit them. And it's really an interesting look at the, the, the whole institution of marriage from the point of view of a guy who was, you know, hired to be there on the special day, and then he goes back and revisits it, and it's really interesting. It's a very, very, very smart, very clever, very unusual film, and, um, well, really just so polished in every respect, and I, I just I hope, this does a, I hope this does a great number for Block, because he deserves to be doing more than just shooting weddings, for sure. Well, let me tell you something. Yes. I have something to say, something very important. So, uh, I love this movie, Merchants of Doubt. Merchants of Doubt is by uh, Robert Kenner, the same guy who did Food, Inc., and this one really is going to just blow your doors off regarding uh, like when you watch cable news and you hear all these like corporate finance, public relations people talking about how you know this particular thing isn't so bad and that means tobacco is fine and crack is okay and hormones are fine. Because like, these guys, they, 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 they're corporate finance, yeah. they're these PR people, and and we, they come on loaded with statistics. And we think that they're these impartial yeah. guests on these talk shows and being interviewed for newspaper articles. And they're not. This was Oscar nominated. It was. Yeah. These, these PR people are all corporate finance, and it really will – it's going to piss you off because it's going to really make you look at everything you're being told by certain parties. You know, Certain parties you can still trust. Certain parties you'll never trust. And then there's people like these guys – um, who you thought maybe you could trust, but then they can't. They're just these fast-talking, slick guys who, as Wade says, they're just filled with statistics, and all they want to do is confuse you into thinking that whatever the latest thing is that's bad is actually, like, good. That's what they do. Yeah, they go on talk job. shows, or they're in- interviewed in magazines and newspaper articles, and Merchants of Doubt is all about that and is just a terrific documentary. The uh, Blu-ray has uh, uh, some deleted scenes, uh, a little event there at the uh, Toronto Film Festival, which is okay, and a commentary by uh, Robert Kenner, the director. So um, there you go. So Merchants of Doubt, very highly recommended. Yes? Yes. Salt of the Earth is a, another Oscar-nominated uh, little ditty. This is from uh, Vim Vendors. There is a photographer named Sebastiano Salgado. Oh, you just killed that one. I got Salgado yeah, right. Yeah, you got it. Uh, this guy is an amazing photographer for like 40 years. The guy goes through all the continents, and he just he has amazing shots of people and landscapes. He has witnessed some of the most amazing events, and he, they have some of the um, his classic photos in this documentary. And so now this documentary is all about this other new thing he's doing, which is that he goes into these areas that are like never been touched before, and he takes pictures. So literally, you've got these great landscape pictures, this amazing photography project, which is all about these areas that have just never been touched before, right? So man hasn't come in there and bulldozed it. It's gorgeous. You know? So it's a lot of, just a lot of gorgeous it's stuff. It's a nice Beautiful. Blu-ray. It's a really, go- really nice Blu-ray. Well, because the Blu-ray does a lot of justice to the beauty of the photos. Yeah. So you just can't beat that. There's a commentary um, with Vim Vendors, some deleted scenes. And uh, Salt of the Earth, Oscar-nominated, just gorgeous. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. So I very highly recommend that. Uh, I also recommend Ancient Aliens, since we were just talking about uh, the idea that I just want them to go to, go to, go to one of the Saturn's moons, or Jupiter's moons, mm-hmm. find the aliens, and let's just all move on. So Ancient Aliens Season 7. This is a show on the History Channel that is all about, you know, they get into these mysteries about certain things that are on it's Earth, the how usual, they created. Yeah. Were they, you know, it's funny, too, because like they, they, they just found out something new about the pyramids. Yeah. 
The pyramids, I guess... They were casinos. They're ancient Egyptian casinos. And nobody knew. Um, it's uh, unbelievable. It's incredible. It's unbelievable. They found, you know, <laughs> they, they found slot machines wow. and craps tables. Buffet. Yeah, buffet. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, buffet. <laughs> Still operating, by the way. It's amazing. Yeah, but they, 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 they haven't changed the bread in 7,000 years. They have not changed the bread in 7,000 years. No, there was an article about how, like, it, like it turns out that the, par- that the, uh, the guys who built the pyramids yeah. were paid. Yeah. They were paid. They were not slaves. No, but nobody... They were paid we, for we, their work. But this has essentially been known for... Look, I, I don't want to oh, get into Jesus this, but Christ. the only reason anybody... Seriously, this is, this is, how, this is the power of movies. The, everyone's like, really? You mean slaves didn't build the pyramids? No, slaves did not build the... What made you think slaves... Well, doesn't it say in the Bible that slaves... No, it doesn't say in the Bible that Jewish slaves built the pyramids. It says... It, it, in like one spot, it says that the Egyptians... Put the Jews, the Hebrews, under hard labor to build a particular city or two. It doesn't say pyramids. Do you know who who gave who put that idea of pyramids in our head? Ten Commandments. Cecil B. DeMille. Exactly. It's like it's incredible. Everyone, no one. Oh, it's so infuriating. Anyway, that stupid movie. Ancient uh, Aliens, uh, season seven. You get uh, a, a ten thousand year old artwork uh, found in a cave. You know, they, they talk about the Great Sphinx. And uh, so, look, if, if, you, if you like this stuff, it's mm. a little bit alien, a little bit conspiracy. So it's, it's kind of fun. Mm. One more. We have, um, you know, there's this uh, woman in, um, in Russia. Her name is Oksana Shako. And she is this feminist. Mm. And she is a woman who uh, fights against political corruption and patriarchal political systems by walking around without her clothes. Oh, totally. That's what she does. Yeah, I know. I know about That's, this lady. <laughs> That's her thing. Yeah. She uses her body, plays it front and center, and all these protests around the streets of Kiev, mm-hmm. and also all across Europe. And this movie, um, I Am Femin, uh, by Alain Margot, mm-hmm. is all about this woman. Now, the only reason why this woman is getting attention for brandishing her naked body all over Kiev is because she's hot. Kind of true. Okay? Literally, if it was called I Am Kathy Bates, <laughs> you know, this would not be made into a documentary. Okay, but this woman is attractive, and of course, you know, she's smart, you know, she has uh, political opinions, and she's willing to put out... Okay, move, moving on. All right, um, more great docs, really great docs. 72% is very, very disturbing, but it's an important doc, and it's an important subject, and it should not end with this documentary. 72% is the uh, number that represents uh, the number of black children that are born out of wedlock in a single, basically single-parent homes, almost all of them single-mom homes. And it is a devastating statistic, and uh, it's something that all, you know very few people are like eager to talk about, except these filmmakers. So they uh, they tackle this. This is from Cinedime, and uh, it is you know part of the the docurama line that has been such a central part of the Cinedime library for so long. And uh, they just they tackle this thing head on, and they talk to everybody, and they go to everybody from Don Lemon to you know Ben Carson and on and on and on and, and the idea is, is to get to the bottom of why culturally historically socially all the other factors what has what has created this unbelievably horrible statistic that is tearing apart black families and black communities and what can we do to fix it and again it doesn't get to the bottom of anything but it it, it digs a really big hole and the idea is that you're supposed to keep digging so that we can all get to the bottom of it because it really it, it's the beginning of the conversation, not the end of the conversation. But it's a really, really good doc, and it asks some hard-hitting questions, and they do a very brave, a very brave thing in going after it. Uh, you know, we're, we've got more Jewish things that we're going to be talking about shortly hey, on Mark's Jewish end. Jewish things? Jewish things. You've got Jewish things in front of you, and I've got a Jewish thing and a food thing, and that fits both themes with our docs today. Uh, this is Deli Man. 
the story of the men behind the food, behind the tradition. Uh, you know what? Uh, delicatessens are certainly not an American creation, but as the delicatessen exists in America, it's very much a part of the, the, the history of Jewish communities in America. And uh, this is this is it's an it's an amazing part of American culture that you know if you live in New York it's obviously really in front of you all the time Katz's and Carnegie and Nate and Allen Stage Deli it's all right there in front of you um, and this is this is getting into that tradition and and where it is sort of now versus where it was and uh, primarily through the experience of this guy named Ziggy Gruber who has built uh, an unbelievable delicatessen. In Houston, that that, Ju- with that 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 epic Jewish community center called Houston, Texas. Hey, so that we are taking over. I know clearly. You think you think slowly, like Muslims are like in, in, infiltrating our cities and towns, trying to trying to make everyone all Muslimy. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. the Jews doing it better. Yeah. So what you're saying? You know is- why? Because the Muslims they try to convert you with religious text and violence. We try to convert you with food. See, and, and I much prefer that. Thank you. I really do. What's your favorite deli in New York, by the way, as long as we're talking about it? Uh, well, you know, people love Katz's Deli on Houston. Katz's Deli is great. Um, you know, some of the big tourists do. Actually, you know, some of the, like Carnegie, I believe Carnegie closed at. I think the Carnegie Deli closed. Yeah. Um, some of the bigger touristy delis, they're really only, they're not famous for having great food. They're famous for having gigantic, piled high sandwiches. Yeah. That's their thing. Yeah. It'll be, literally, it'll be like, like an 80-inch high corned beef sandwich. I love it. The best, but I, I would go for Katz's Deli. Katz's, all right, good. Thank you. Good advice. Uh, Heaven adores you is a Blu-ray uh, about the life. It's a documentary about the uh, the life and music of Elliot Smith. And uh, I, of course, you know, I so I'm like I, I uh, Elliot Smith. I'm not sure I really understand. I do I know Elliot Smith? Uh, I certainly do now. And uh, wow, really, just unbelievably fascinating. Um, Elliot Smith died in 2003, we should point out, uh, prematurely and would have certainly had a much more significant uh, impact on the music scene than he had had he continued to live. Uh, but this is, uh, this is a really, really good documentary. Great music. Um, fascinating look at, uh, all the different, uh, at the, you know, all the different locales that were sort of the backdrop for his music. It's really, really good. So that's Blu-ray. Uh, Heaven Adores You, a documentary film about the life and music of Elliot Smith. And uh, then my last two, before I turn this back over to Mark. Um, eh. 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 Anybody's eyes. My last two documentaries before I turn it back over to you. Eh. Okay, that's Mark's, that's Mark's old Jewish deli voice. Um, I have a personal connection to both of these. And this first one is called Lost Soul, The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. Uh, this is a great doc, Period. It's one of the best docs I've ever seen about a film that wasn't, and there are a lot of them. You know, there are a lot of great behind-the-scenes docs and a lot of great docs about films that never happened, like you know uh, Jodorowsky's Dune and things like that. This is right there with him. Uh, Richard Stanley, of course, made Hardware and Dust Devil, and he was this crazy South African-born kind of British American citizen of the world guy with all kinds of sort of occultish obsessions and a very sort of effete way of talking and he had a really really kind of you know ethereal personality and he was this wunderkind right hardware was a big deal in the 80s 
And uh, it was one of those, the first cyberpunk movies made in a shoestring, and he had a really great style. And anyway, he was hired to do this remake of Island of Dr. Moreau that was going to include, uh, that was going to star um, Marlon Brando. And the film completely spiraled out of control. It just went completely off the rails and wound up being directed by John Frankenheimer, and Stanley was fired from the film, and he never really had a film career again. Uh, so this revisits that moment. Now here is my story. Um, it was around the time that this thing was being planned that uh, a certain a friend of ours, an acquaintance of yours and mine, Atan, Atan Arusi, who Mark and I, I both heard that know. Name in years. I know. What is he doing? I don't know what he's doing. But but Atan, who I had met with our friend Ian at Cannes, uh, Atan came to stay with me. He was out here. He was he'd done a, a, a CD-ROM back when they had such things, a CD-ROM thing called Burn Cycle, which was also very cyberpunky. And so Atan came out here to be peddle that and take some Hollywood meetings, and he stayed with me. And by sheer coincidence, one of my neighbors at the time was Adam Simon. Now, Adam Simon had gone to USC Film School with other acquaintances of ours. He'd gone there with Ray Green, my partner on Schlock, a colleague of ours on, uh, uh, in the LA Film Critics. And so Adam Simon had been at USC at the same time as Ray Green, as Matt Reeves, as James Gray. They were all part of that same class of guys at USC. Adam Simon, by coincidence, had just done a Carnosaur for Corman, which was, you know, a knockoff of Jurassic Park. And Adam Simon lived about a block and a half from me. I didn't know this. Atan, Adam Simon, acquaintances. And uh, one Sunday, Atan says, hey, we're going to go over to uh, Adam's house. Uh, come on over. We're going we're to walk on over there. And uh, Richard Stanley's coming by, and he's going to talk about his new movie. And, and I, I, I remember thinking, Richard Stan- Richard, Richard, the hardware guy? Richard Stanley, the hardware guy? With the, with the black clothes and the black hat and the not long black hair uh, who looks like he's going to be doing an exorcism at any given moment. And he's like, yeah, he's a, he's a trippy guy. So uh, we all go over to, to, to uh, Adam Simon's house, and Richard Stanley shows up. And next thing I know, he and Adam Simon are, are like going through some atlas of the Necromicon looking at you know 500-year-old occultic symbols and just all this weird talk. But um, he started telling us about the island of Dr. Moreau and what he had planned for it and telling us stories from Dust Devil about how he wanted to really light the corpses of dead cows on fire, but they wouldn't let him, and all kinds of crazy stuff. Anyway, all the stuff that he was telling us about island of Dr. Moreau effectively winds up in this movie. So I can tell you this is a really authoritative documentary. They really get to the root of everything. They track Stanley down in France where he's living now, and uh, he still looks good, still totally eccentric and, and irrepressibly lovable at the same time. And one of the funnier anecdotes in here um, concerns another friend of mine who was an executive with Fine Line at the time who uh, literally fell asleep during a meeting between Richard Stanley and Marlon Brando, and it's outrageously funny. So I feel like I was, uh, like I was somehow a fly on the wall of this story from the beginning. It is, it's, just a, it's a miraculous story. You've got to check this out. Lost Soul, the doomed journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau from Severin. And then the last one, is another Oscar-nominated documentary. Uh, this is from quite a number of years ago. Uh, this is Michael Paxton's Oscar-nominated documentary, Ayn Rand, A Sense of Life. Uh, Michael Paxton is a very good friend of mine and uh, a superb documentarian, and uh, he, he really killed it with this. He put a lot of time into doing the, 
the sort of authoritative, definitive uh, biographical documentary on the very controversial uh, philosopher novelist Ayn Rand. And um, it is, it's sort of more of a romance than anything else. It really sort of focuses very much on her, her relationship with her husband. But it does, you, know, you can't really encapsulate everything from her, her entire life in the one movie. But it does a pretty damn good job. And it's really polished. And I remember very well attending the premiere of this thing. And uh, the reception was great. And the DVD transfer, the Blu-ray transfer, I should say, uh, for Strand is just excellent. It's pristine. It's a great movie. Uh, lots of great extras on here, uh, photo galleries, the uh, photos never before seen, bonus footage. It's really superb. So uh, I highly recommend this uh, for documentary fans as well, Ayn Rand, A Sense of Life. Wait, turn off your phone. Yes, sir. You I'm did sorry. did last week, too. I know. I changed the... I yes. thought I... Well, anyway. Anyway, we have two uh, Jewy things to talk about, and I can say that because I'm Jewish. We have uh, Dialogues with Elie Wiesel and uh, Richard D. Hefner. This is um, from the good folks at SISU, and then we have another SISU uh, home entertainment uh, DVD to talk about. Um, you really have to be into this stuff to really get, get really get into it. If my father was alive today, he would love this stuff. My father actually met Elie Wiesel once. Um, anyway, uh, Elie Wiesel, of course, Nobel Prize winning uh, author and uh, Holocaust uh, survivor and expert, um, and a host, Richard D. Hefner, they have just a series of dialogues, series of conversations, and they talk about religion and politics and, uh, and, and the death penalty and really in-depth stuff. It's really heady stuff, but really there's, there's one about um, is there, what's, the, what's the moral difference between murdering somebody in cold blood and killing somebody with compassion? For food? For compassion. Oh, okay. Like, let's say a, a, a mercy killing versus killing somebody in cold blood. What if you Morally, want, is there no difference? What if you're just hungry and there's nothing else around to eat? Well, then I'm going to eat... I'd probably eat grass. You'd eat grass before you'd eat me? What if I, what if I, I said... I'd die before I eat you. Okay. Anyway, dialogues, mm-hmm. uh, really heady stuff, three-disc set, but uh, it was on public television. But anyway, your parents might like it. <laughs> well, all right. Now, we also have, uh, from the good folks at... Uh, SISU. We have these three Holocaust documentaries. Neither of these, quite frankly, are uh, good enough for their own release, so they package them all into one big three-disc set. Uh, one's called I'm Still Here. The other's called Out of Europe, and the other's called Last Stop Q Gardens. I like Last Stop Q Gardens because it's sort of the most uh, entertainment-heavy because Q Gardens... Is where you of, were born? I, I, you know what? I, right. I, yes, that's true. See, I know that. How do you know that? I don't know. Did I ever tell you that? I, it, the, just the word Kew Gardens sounds weird. I, when I was a kid, I, when I, well, I lived, I, lived, I lived in Kew Gardens until I was three. So really, it's been a long time okay. since I lived in Kew Gardens. But I did live in Kew Gardens until I was three. Anyway, I like that one because uh, the whole idea is that this little tiny village of Kew Gardens wound up giving us a lot of really famous entertainment figures, including you know, uh, you know, Bob Schimmel and Jerry Springer, they, were, they all lived in Kew Gardens. So I kind of like that one the best. It's not, it's, it's not as serious as the other two, but I did like it. Um, the other two were definitely, uh, one's about the group of Belgian Jews uh, trying to flee Europe in 1940. And then uh, the other one is, um, is really good stuff, actually. It's actually very, it's very poignant. It's um, celebrities like Elijah Wood, Joaquin Phoenix, and Kate Hudson. They read um, diary entries from young young folks um, during that time. The thing aired on MTV, and uh, yeah. So there were these young writers during that time. They had diaries. They kept diary entries. And then you've got Elijah Woods, Joaquin Phoenix, and Kate Hudson reading their diary entries. So I'm still here. 
definitely for me the second place here. Third place being out of Europe, the uh, story about the Belgian Jews. Um, so there you go. Holocaust, Genocide, and Survival is the name of the set. And mm-hmm. then the three films are I'm Still Here, Out of Europe, and Last Hopkins Gardens. Very cool. All right, I'm going to uh, hit some new movies. We don't really have any new movies this week. we got one significant new movie. And then um, we'll get into some foreign stuff, Mark and I will. Uh, so real quickly, this is all, you know, kind of, I mean, there's one significant new movie and the others are just sort of, uh, sort of novelty films that are, that are new to DVD, but, uh, worth checking out. Um, this is a cool little thriller called Still, starring Aidan Gillen, directed by Simon Blake. Um, this comes to us from, what company sent this to us? I don't even, oh, this is from Film, Film Movement, of course, I knew that. Uh, this is from Film Movement, and uh, it's, it, it, it's, this is an okay film. Uh, it's a good concept, a good premise, uh, pretty well executed. So, I, you know, it's worth, worth checking out. Uh, but it's essentially about a, um, uh, a guy who loses his son in a car crash, and uh, then that turns into sort of a, a, the impetus for his life to spiral a little bit out of control, and uh, he takes it out in not death wish kinds of ways, but um, it, it certainly has a, a very deleterious psychological effect on him in the way that his life uh, dovetails to you know complete new lows. Um, it's about how tragedy sort of rips your, your life apart. Worth checking out. Um, 52 Tuesdays by director Sophie Hyde uh, from Kino Lorber is a... Um, Kind of a, it, it's a, it, it's a timely film. It's a little bit uh, too kind of gritty and low budgety raw for me, but the idea here is uh, that there is a, a young girl who is 16 years old, and uh, at completely the most uh, inopportune time in her life, her mother says that she's going to uh, undergo gender transition. And uh, all sort of Bruce slash Caitlyn Jenner analogies and jokes aside. Uh, it's a very sincere film, uh, and um, it uh, the whole concept is that it takes place over the course of a year with uh, once a week. So that's why you, on Tuesday, that's why it becomes 52 Tuesdays. And it includes a blooper reel, deleted scenes, extended scenes, and making up featurette. Um, interesting idea, interesting execution. Um, not quite what it needs to be. It just I, I would have preferred something a little more conventional given the subject matter, but it's, it's fine. And uh, then Comet. Great cast. Don't know why I didn't even hear about this film. Uh, it's not bad. It's an IFC film that just kind of got dumped. It stars Emmy Rossum and Justin Long. The film, again, is Comet. And I adore Emmy Rossum, and I like Justin Long, although he's kind of he's kind of vanished, hasn't he? What, he had that he was there for a moment, and now he's gone. Emmy Rossum? No, jo- Justin Long. Delicious. I know, I know she is. Uh, she's you know she's on TV a lot. Anyway, uh, this is it's this is basically a, a six year long relationship um, character study, and. Um, you know, with just two really, really good actors, and it uh, you know zips around in time and uh, has a little interesting kind of nonlinear structure. But um, it's really interesting. It's better than movies like uh, what was the, the 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 Ryan Gosling thing? Blue Star Wars. Blue. What was Blue that? Valentine. Blue Valentine. Didn't didn't like Blue Valentine. This is better. Definitely check this out. Comet. 
And then lastly, um, on the new movie front, Blu-ray of The Water Diviner, Russell Crowe's directing debut. Incredibly accomplished. Really uh, very interesting film. Uh, not perfect by any means, but incredibly ambitious, incredibly accomplished, as you would expect for someone who's made as many big movies as he had with as many big directors. He certainly has learned his craft very well. Uh, and this is one of those, by the way, that was financed by Brett Ratner's new thing. Yeah! This is one of those new Rat Pack finance oh, things. So. But uh, this did get a little bit of flack for... It's essentially about a guy who, uh, played by Russell Crowe, who is an Australian farmer in the wake of um, uh, World War I who goes to look for his three sons who are all missing um, after having fought in the Battle of Gallipoli in World War I, which is where Australians were just brutalized and mowed down. And if you've seen the Peter Weir film starring Mel Gibson, Gallipoli... You know, that's all about that battle. So this is almost like a complimentary film. And he, so he goes back to Turkey to, uh, to sort of get to the bottom of that and conduct this investigation. And um, the film was lambasted a little bit, somewhat opportunistically, somewhat fairly, somewhat unfairly, for whitewashing uh, the Turks a little bit and humanizing them in the wake of what we know now in detail on the 100th anniversary of the Armenian Genocide. And I, I somewhat agree... Uh, but I also think it's a little unfair to hold this one film to account for, you know, uh, telling a very simple story and not sort of delving into all the, the, the nuances of it. So I would say, as long as you are aware of the Armenian Genocide in this 100th anniversary year, in which, you know, almost the entire world has now acknowledged that it happened, except for Turkey and the United States, it seems, um, as long as you're aware of that and you educate yourself on that, then watch the film and take the film for what it is, which is a very, very good directing debut um, from a very, very good actor who clearly has more movies in him as a director. Wade Major. There we go. Wow. Yes, sirree. All right, Wade, uh, let's uh, talk about some more movies. On DVD, we have The Nun. The Nun is um, the second telling of this story. I think the first one was better. The Nun is a story about a, uh, a woman who finds out that she is illegitimate, so she atones for her mother's sins by becoming a nun. And so the, I found this film totally boring, even at 112 minutes, totally plotted along. I love the, I love how the, I love the, uh, the themes of guilt and remorse and trying to atone for the sins of others. I thought all this stuff was great. The problem is that in 1966, Jacques Rivette made the same movie. Oh, t- t- give me the rivet any time. Yeah, yeah, right? Fla. Any day. Gla. Yeah, gla. Spla. <laughs> so I-, I would really pass on the nun and just get the Jacques Rivette version from 1966. But look, Pauline Etienne is uh, beautiful, and Isabelle Huppert is in it also, and she's great too. But um, I'm just saying that it's been done before and done better. Um, there was a film at the uh, Tribeca Film Festival uh, a little while ago called Zero Motivation. And Zero Motivation is about these uh, young female soldiers um, – in this remote Iraqi uh, desert outpost. And, um, you know, uh, I like this film. Not all the humor translates, but I, I really did like it. And, and what's interesting about it is that there's these huge shifts in tone. Like, they'll be really funny, and uh, they'll, they'll be singing songs and, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, playing video games, and they'll just get very serious. But those shifts in tone, they're done pretty well, pretty smoothly by... Uh, by the director, his name is uh, Talia Lavi. So hopefully uh, Talia Lavi will do some more stuff. But um, I found Zero Motivation completely odd and uh, surreal and thought-provoking and really interesting. So uh, hopefully we'll get some um, 
we'll get some uh, traction on DVD from the good folks at Zeitgeist. We also have Tangerines. Now, this is not Tangerine, which is the film shot on an iPhone. This is Tangerines. And uh, this one, is, it's a bit of a sit, but it's not that bad. It's about um, this, uh, this Estonian man. He's kind of, he's a little bit older, and he's caring for these two wounded soldiers. And the soldiers are on opposite uh, sides of the, um, the war in Georgia from the 90s. And uh, yeah, so it really is just this big essay on compassion and, and loving thy enemy and that kind of stuff. So it really is, it, dramatically, it's, it's, it's fine, but you know, I, this could have just, there's been a lot of like enemy mind. We were talking about enemy mind on an email chain a couple yes, a while we ago. Were, totally. we're like, like, like two people on the opposite ends of, of a war yeah. are forced together. You know, to and they have no choice but to work out their differences verbally because they're yeah. both wounded and they both got to sit there. I, well, I, it, was, it was it was Ray and I who were going back and forth. I said, "Yeah, it's just a remake of Hell in the Pacific." And Ray said, "No, I think it's a a timely gay marriage allegory because Lou Gossett gets pregnant." And I, Ray took two and two and, and put it together and got a million. I don't think anybody thought it was that. <laughs> he didn't either, but he just happened to have watched it on that day, you know, which I, I guess was more timely for him personally, but, you know, whatever. Uh, interesting film because it's called uh, White God, and White God is about this young girl who has a dog. This, but is, this is kind of a big deal this year. This, this thing may wind up with some year-end awards love. It could. It's very interesting. Yeah. It's about um, this girl has this mixed-breed dog, and he, she has to get rid of the mixed-breed dog because it has been deemed unfit by the state. So the dog is taken away, and then they decide, and then the dog and the girl slowly kind of get back together. And um, I think this film is, it says a lot about people who are unfit for society. They're uh, you know they're uh, they're deemed un- they're unloved. So it's this crazy revenge fantasy. You've never seen anything like it. It's uh, gritty, but it's also kind of like a little bit sentimental. And uh, it's a really cool little movie. I mean, it's um, it's from Budapest. So don't ask me to pronounce the director's name. Not going to happen, but um, as, as as allegories go, I just think this thing was pretty effective. So I would definitely check out White God. Sweet. All right, Mark. I'm gonna I'm gonna roll through a bunch here. Uh, we're gonna try to tie off the uh, the foreign section here, and then we'll uh, wrap up with. Uh, I don't know. Gosh, we're not gonna get through everything, so we're, we'll wrap up with as much as we can. Uh, this is a French film from a director named Sophie Filière, oh. who I've never heard of before. But um, You're boy. Just a jerk. You know what? She's really good, and she's got an interesting couple here in Emmanuel Devos and Mathieu Amalric. They're, I mean, look, both great French stars, terrific actors, and a really cool, simple little almost theatrical um, conceit about a couple who uh, they go on a hike, and a, like a longtime couple, they go on a hike, and, and they just decide that the things aren't turning out well, and, and while on the hike, she says, I'm not going back. And from there, you launch into this really, really interesting analysis of a relationship. What is not an interesting analysis of a relationship is uh, my mistress. So here's the deal. This is from uh, Stephen Lance. And uh, here's, here's the deal. You're going to love this. So there's this kid, and his, an affair is tearing his parents apart, and so he goes uh, down the, uh, the street because he's curious about the lady who lives down the street who turns out to be a dominatrix, and that's how he sort of uh, reconnects to life. This would be a completely crap movie if not for the fact that the mistress is Emmanuel Bayard. Yeah! Thank you. So, Manuel Bayard is a dominatrix. I'm all over it. Uh, 
Yeah, I'm in. That's the only reason I'm mentioning that in the in the same breath with French films is because it's it's Emmanuel Bayard. Otherwise, it's uh, you know shouldn't even be discussed in this segment. Uh, and then we also have a, a, a fascinating thriller from Claude Lelouch, who just is, it has a has made more great films than some entire countries. Um, this is a really cool thriller called R- Roman de Gare, which is. Uh, which basically means, you know, like a dime store novel. It, it means train station novel, but it means, you know, like here we, we call it an air, airport novel or whatever. Uh, anyway, it's a fascinating thriller uh, that stars uh, Fanny Ardant, uh, Dominique Pinon, who, you know, the little guy, the kind of squirrely guy from all of the, uh, uh, like from Delicatessen and uh, all those movies. You know, the, the Jean-Pierre Genet movies. They always have Dominique Pinot. He's the he's, sure, he's, he's he's little guy. He was, in, he was in the Aliens. Yeah, put the mic up to your mouth. And he, he was an alien, uh, exactly. alien resurrection. Exactly. Oh, well, one of them. Yeah. No, anyway. He, so there in this, it's, this is just really cool. It's about a woman um, played by uh, Fanny Ardant, who is a, she's the novelist uh, in the film, and she's looking to sort of populate her next book with interesting characters. And uh, at the same time, uh, a serial killer has escaped from prison. And how all of that intersects is is just fascinating. And this is just one. Of the, the, this this came out a few years ago, um, like seven or eight years ago. And it's just it's it it has not really made its way to DVD until now. And thank goodness it has because it's really cool. Uh, unbelievably, boy, I don't even know how to describe this. Gangs of Wasapur um, is on Blu-ray from Cinelicious Picks. And this is just one of those completely unhinged Indian films that uh, winds up making it over here. There are hundreds of unhinged Indian films that are made every year. But this thing is like old John Woo channeled through Bollywood. And it's completely crazy. The director is Anurag Kashyap. And uh, this is just, this is like his godfather, his goodfellas, you know, his... Um, in some respects, I might even say it's like a city of God, right? It's like an Indian city of God. It is just, it is, it is high octane and it is powerful and it is just magnificent. And uh, it's, um, it's five hours long, Mark. What? It's five hours. <laughs> that made me almost drop my phone. <laughs> I know, it's, but it's great. Wow. It's really great. Uh, you know what else is really great? Benoit Jaco's latest film, Three Hearts. Uh, it's magnificent. This is a magnificent, magnificent movie. Benoit Poulverd, who we all know more from his comedies, he's a Belgian actor, basically Man Bites Dog. He's the guy. He's the serial killer in Man Bites Dog. Uh, Benoit Poulverd plays a guy who, um, by happenstance, meets Charlotte Gainsbourg um, you know, uh, in, a, in a city just via the train station. And... Um, that eventually turns into a romance, and a romance that eventually incorporates her sister, Chiara Mastroianni. I will not spell out exactly how these characters interact, interrelate, who has a romance with whom or how it affects whom, um, because so much of this is nonverbal. Here's the genius of this film. It's entirely about people, relationships, love, but it's all unspoken. If you were to just read the dialogue you wouldn't have a slightest idea what this movie is about for, for 60 minutes because the dialogue doesn't tell the story. The looks, the eyes, what people don't say, what's going on during the dialogue, alongside, out of view of the dialogue, is what tells the story. Uh, Benoit Jaco is such a master of this kind of stuff, and his films get better and better. And this may... I, I, I'm on the verge of saying this may be his masterpiece. 
And here's another one from the Cohen Film Collection, Mark. I, I got to tell you, this is amazing. This is a couple of Alain Rene films, uh, Love Unto Death and Life is a Bed of Roses. And, um, man, they've got a – are you okay there with your uh, – not, you, were, you were ripping on me for having my text. That wasn't my phone. Wasn't that yours? Is it that was, me? No, it's yours. Oh, jeez. I don't know why. Okay, well, anyway. Uh, two Alain Rene films, double feature of Alain Rene, Love Unto Death and Life is a Bed of Roses. And th- what makes these two films so amazing is that they have some of the best audio commentaries I've ever heard on any double feature Blu-ray ever in my entire life. They're amazing. They are like the most awe-inspiring audio commentaries. They are insightful. They're intelligent. They're witty. Really? They are. They're incredible. Keep, They're incredible. Can you tell me who did the yes, audio I, I commentaries? Did, yes, I did them with Andy. Um, so uh, I did, I, I, I'm, I'm co-host of both of these audio commentaries, and we had a lot of fun doing them. We used to do audio commentaries Yes, for Vanguard Cinema. I'm going to try to hook, hook us up for the Digigod's branded audio, uh, audio commentaries again. Are they still Van, around? Vanguard still do it. They like streaming stuff now. They're basically doing streaming. Wait, that is you. That is not me. I know. Why don't you turn your phone off? It's not the phone. It's the computer. Well, then turn down the thing. I did. I turned the volume down. Thank you. What what do you need to hear on the... Well, it's not. It's like it's the way the volume works now that I'm using a new audio system. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, certain things go through the Uh, computer, and it used to all go through the the mixing board, but it doesn't work that way anymore. Christ on a cracker. I'm sorry. I will master the technology eventually. Anyway, uh, if you know anything about Alain Rene, you know that he just uh, his movies are sometimes impenetrable, impenetrable and impossible to uh, explain. But um, these are two really good ones, and uh, you, you just got to see them to believe them. You really do. And look, Andy and I do the audio commentaries. You got to uh, you, you know you got to you, you got to get into this. Um, and especially Life is a Bed of Roses is really, really, uh, is really fun. So, um, Wait, this chair is so uncomfortable. Seriously, why did you give me this chair? Um, what chair are you sitting in? Different chair, right? It's exactly the same chair. This chair is so uncomfortable. You know what? You're always it, talking about how fat you are. Don't you have any cushion? <laughs> the problem is that, can you imagine how much, how much more comfortable this, uh, this chair? I have so much cushion right now because I am enormously fat. Yeah, well, all right, fine. That uh, comment was going somewhere, then, then it, it got are we done? Are we done with the foreign stuff? Did you have any more over there? No, no you did all your all stuff. There. Okay, so let's, let's, let's kill the show off with some... Well, uh, let's kill the show, all right. Let's kill oh. the show with, off with some exploitation and classic stuff. Cla- well, Mystery Science, come on. Yeah. 33. You know, this thing, I'll tell you something. You want to talk about a, a, a DVD series that keeps on going. Yeah, I know. There's 33 of these. I know, it's And there's others, too. There's like the essentials and whatnot, so... Um, this is Mystery Science Theater 3000, Volume 33, Daddy-O, Earth vs. the Spider, Teenage Crime Wave, which is the funniest one, and Agents of Harm. Um, you know, I don't know what to say. I actually stopped collecting these after a while. I couldn't take it anymore. Because, you know, a, a, a lot of these are online. I, I know. The shorts are online. You yeah. can hear the, short, the shorts, yeah. which are always the funniest bits. Those are online. And I, I've been, Although, when I do find myself popping in a Mystery Science DVD... Like, for instance, here, I, I checked out uh, Teenage Crime Wave. Now I pretty much just watch the movie. I don't watch the interstitial stuff, you know, like the, uh, the, um, the thing where they, they swap inventions right. and the little live-action bits. I just go right to the movies now because yeah. uh, there's been 33 of these. I know. It's crazy. It's nuts, it's right? crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. You did that last week. I know. I do, I've done it several anyway, times. Anyway, just letting you know that it exists. But, ladies and gentlemen, the 33rd MST3K... Box set. 
Okay, uh, so we're going to roll through here really quickly on the uh, the exploitation stuff. I'm going to uh, knock off this this pile as fast as I can because it really doesn't warrant all that much conversation. Uh, from uh, Shout Factory's Scream Factory line is the Charles Band production of Ghost Town, which is kind of like their low-budget uh, zombie horror version of Westworld. And uh, it's, it, it, it's just... It's kind of stupid. But it's Charles Band, you know? It has a certain kitschy 80s feel to it. Uh, the Erotic Rites of Frankenstein by Jess Franco is part of the uh, Redemption line that is now being distributed by Kino Lorber. Um, this comes with an audio com- commentary by uh, Video Watchdog uh, magazine editor Tim Lucas, which is probably the most interesting thing about it, because anything Jess Franco is a slog if you don't have context. And The Erotic Rites of Frankenstein, seriously, do I need to actually explain what this movie's about? Uh, Cult Epics does a lot. They dig up a lot of ephemera, man. They really kind of find the stuff that just drifts into the the dust bunnies of cinema that just float underneath the uh, the bed. And boy, did they get one here with uh, Der Todes King. Uh, This is a limited edition release on Blu-ray. Only three thousand copies. This was made. This is the. um, I, I can't read this for the for the show. Because it includes not only collectible artwork, but the 25th anniversary slipcover and corpse-blanking art postcard, Mark. The corpse-blanking art postcard. I will let you fill in the blank. Oh, no. This is a family show. I know. Um, anyway, this is... Uh, it, boy, this, this, this thing was actually made between 1987 and 1991... Uh, by uh, Jorg Butgerite. I hope I don't mutilate that name, Butgerite. And it is a ser- it's an anthology of stories about death and suicide, um, and uh, they all deal with really gruesome, horrific stuff. And it's, you know, uh, it's not everybody's thing, but if you've ever seen the movie Necromantic, which was his, his previous film, uh, you know exactly what, to, uh, what you're expecting, what you're in for. But this is really intense underground stuff. Uh, we also have Toxic Avenger Part 3, The Last Temptation of Toxie. Yeah! Do I actually need to say anything more about that? No, it's the best. Uh, and a couple from Synapse Films. One is Samurai Avenger, The Blind Wolf. Uh, not the best samurai film I've ever seen, but it's uh, you know it, it sort of references. Uh, it, I mean, as far as it's like a Zata, it's like a, an underground American quasi Zatoichi. It's it's not even American. It's a Japanese film, but it's you know the uh, it's got it's a it's like a it's like a Zatoichi knockoff, really. Um, so you know it's it you know it's a revenge thing. It is what it is. It's not you know it, there are better films in this genre, but this has kind of a following. Um, Long Weekend, another uh, another revenge film, uh, which is you know okay. This is late late seventies, so it still feels kind of exploitation-y. Still feels kind of uh, from the slasher era a little bit. It has that kind of John Carpenter um, uh, Halloweeny feel to it. Um, so you know, I mean, that's you know, a couple gets 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 them goes off on the wrong road, and next thing you know, all hell breaks loose, and yada yada. You fill in the blank. Um, I love this movie. Takashi Miike 
is the most prolific filmmaker who's probably ever lived. He makes like a movie every 14 seconds. It's ridiculous. He just cranks them out. But you know what? When he nails it, though, he nails it. When he nails it, he nails it. You know, Andy and I did a commentary for one of his films at one point, which we got great reviews for, and even though we still don't know what the movie's about, it winds up with somebody, like, character turns into a woman and then births himself out of the woman. Oh, at the Gozu. End. Yeah. Is that Gozu? Yes. The best. You've seen Gozu? Yes. He, at the end, he gives birth to a woman. To or himself. The, 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 yeah, it's the best. Yeah, he turns into a woman and then he births himself out of her mouth yeah, at the end. Right. It's insane. No, it's not. It's I, it makes no sense at all. But but we did a commentary for that, which people love. So anyway, I love the happiness of the Katakuras. And uh, this is finally out on Blu-ray from the Arrow video line that is being distributed by MVD. This is a DVD and Blu-ray combo. And I, you know, I mean, it's like, uh, this is... I, I don't even know how to explain this movie. If this is like the sound of music crossed with, I don't know, um, like some, I don't know, like a horror film. It's just, it's crazy. It's really crazy. Um, and uh, it, it's just got tons and tons and tons of extras on it. If you've ever seen Takashi Miike interviewed, I we actually were able to interview him at the time we did Gozu. Holy cow, what a, what a, boy, what a guy he is. Uh, we also got Pit Stop from the Arrow line, the Jack Hill uh, exploitation film classic. That is at now out on Blu-ray, also in a DVD and Blu-ray combo. Um, Pit Stop is one of the most influential films of all time as far as the auto racing genre. It is, uh, it is a real classic, and uh, you've got to check this out. If it, it just, it's a beautiful transfer. Arrow is, a, is proving to be a really impressive line here. Uh, and then two more from the Arrow line. Uh, Spider Baby, also a Jack Hill film in a DVD and Blu-ray combo set. Um, Spider Baby, not the best Jack Hill film, but uh, you know a, a decent performance from Lon Chaney Jr. in this one. And uh, an, 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 interesting, um, an interesting entry in the, uh, in the exploitation uh, corpus from that era. And then the last one from Arrow is Contamination. Uh, which comes with a slipcover, which the other ones don't. Um, but this is uh, this is kind of a, a very strange um, science fiction giallo hybrid, and uh, it's it's essentially an alien knockoff with a lot more gore, and uh, it's got kind of a cult following. Comes with a ridiculous amount of extras, hours of extras, and gobs of stuff you'll never get through. But you know, for people who want to see, who like the idea of alien knockoffs on a much lower level with the with a touch of the giallo gene, yeah, you could do worse. All right, Wade, uh, am I getting the last word this week? Yep, go ahead. Really? Kill it. Exciting. Uh, we got three more for you. One is Borderline. This is a one of those Charles Bronson uh, programmers from 1980. He did a million of these. He did a million of these sorts of movies. Here he plays a, a tough as nails border patrol officer, and his best friend's murder. He's got to go find the killer. It's exciting. Sweet. He was played by Ed Harris. It's unbelievable. And Bruno Kirby's in this, too. It's oh, actually got a good cast. That's it's, sad. It's, I, I miss Bruno Kirby. I know. It's a stupid movie, but it's got a good cast. Anyway, Borderline, uh, you've got to be a real Charles Bronson completist to uh, go with that one. Um, we have the uncut edition on Blu-ray of All Quiet on the Western Front. This is not the uh, film from 1929 that won the uh, Oscar, that won the Best Picture Oscar in 1929, yeah. right? It'd be 2930. Yeah. 2930. Um, this is the one starring Richard Thomas, because what you really want... You don't want the one that won the Oscar for Best Picture. You want the one starring the guy from the Waltons. 
Isn't Ernest Borgnine in this too? Yes, he is. Yeah, see, I remember that. It was on TV. So, the, and it's, uh, Donald Pleasance is in oh, it too. Yeah. So this is just lame. I'm sorry. I just, <laughs> this is just really just misbegotten. What, what the hell's the point? It was oh, done yeah. just. I mean, look, it was directed by Delbert Mann, so that's a good thing. Yeah. But still, Marty. come on, come on. Yeah. Now, Wade, I'm saving the best for last. Save it. Wade, let me tell you something. Yes, sir. Now, remember when uh, Johnny Depp and uh, what's his name did that Lone Ranger film? A couple oh, years yeah. ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. forgot his yeah. name, yeah, 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 uh, Army yeah. Hammer. Yeah, the, who, who's now the man from Uncle, because yes. obviously he didn't destroy enough movies. Yes. Oh, that yeah. movie looks funny. Come on. Yeah, it's going to be good. Me? Why not? Man from Uncle, really? Yes, I mean, really? it's going to be good, yes. Yeah, good. you think? Yes. Really? You know why? It's going to be like, the, how much did we love The Kingsman? Yeah, we did love The Kingsman. Um, but, but in the year where we're looking forward to Mission Impossible and where we're also looking forward to another Bond film, does anyone really want to see The Man from Uncle? Yeah, yes, they do. Okay. Okay. Um, in 1981, <laughs> there was another Lone Ranger film. This was going to be the one, Wade. I know. This was going to just relaunch Lone Ranger. This starred that, that dude. What was his name? His, this his starred the name. beautifully named Clinton Spilsbury. That's the one. Clint. As the Lone Ranger. Now, at the yeah. time, was a big, this was a big deal at the time. Yeah. Clinton Spilsbury. Turns out this guy was so bad, <laughs> they had to dub all of his dialogue. Yeah. You realize that, like, James Keach dubbed all... Was it James or Stacey? I think it was, it was one, yeah. I think it was James Keach. This guy was so bad that they had to bring in another actor to du- dub all of his dialogue. That's just... That's this thing was just a misbegotten... It was just horrible. This thing was just a wow. big, big bomb. It stars Jason Robards, which I guess is always cool. But... Um, and Christopher Lloyd, and that's always cool. Right. But this is... Like, they, they just can't get the Lone Ranger right. The thing is that in the, in the early 80s, nobody wanted to see a Western. I know. You see, nowadays... You know, no one wants to see a Western either, but at least people love tentpole films with yeah. pre-sold properties. Right. In the early 80s, no one wanted to see a Western with some guy named Clinton Spilsbury. <laughs> oh, seriously. And the Oscar goes to Clinton Spilsbury. That guy has not done a movie since. I know. He has not done a movie. I know. This was it. This was it. I hope he had points. Uh, what? <laughs> the funny thing is that this movie only cost $18 million. Like in 1980, that was a it lot was of money. A, but it, it bombed so It was a hard. big disaster. Everybody hated it. Yeah. The guy got his, his dialogue dubbed. It was just a huge boondoggle. He's selling, so really, he's selling cars in Pacoima. I mean, if you want to see a film wow. that is like one of the classic Ishtar-ish, although Ishtar's not a bad film. Ishtar's a great film. But it's one of those classic too much. Hollywood bombs. Wow. I would check out The Legend of the Lone Ranger starring... Clinton Spilsbury. <laughs> I, I, that's one of my favorite movies, uh, movie names of all time. It just it's, It sounds like half movie star and half like you should have changed that. You're checking him up, aren't you? Oh, yeah. You want to well, see? Want to, you yeah, there you go. Uh, he was 64 years old. Oh, my gosh. Born in Chihuahua, Mexico. He was born in Mexico. Right. His sole acting credit. <laughs> no, I should not Sole acting credit. It doesn't say what he's doing now? Um, Obviously, he's 64, so he hasn't starved. So he's, he's still alive somehow. Oh, he's coached acting workshops and taught people how to how to how to be dubbed. I, 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 actually, I do remember this. when the Lone Ranger came out, the guy that film, people wanted to talk to Spielberg about what he's doing oh, wow. the film, and uh, he was like, <laughs> <laughs> he should have. He said, "See, now mine's not the worst one of all time." The Variety says, uh, as of 2013, he's working in LA. Oh, that's interesting. Well, good. Second second career. All right, with that, Mark, we're done. See you by the next week.